I hope you're ready for this morning. We are finishing a four-week teaching series called Follow Me, where we're talking about how to actually follow Jesus. It's also our theme for 2024. And if you've been with us, we've tracked the early disciples and how they dropped everything to go and to follow Jesus. And then last week, didn't Pastor Nate do a fantastic job uh, preaching about how to sometimes when we follow Jesus, we have to get outside our comfort zone if we're going to be fisher, uh, uh, fishers of men and women and actually go out and spread the gospel, we're going to have to get uncomfortably close to Jesus. And, you know, I, uh, Nate may even be attending online right now. He is putting this into practice. He's in Central Africa putting on a conference with uh, two of our missionaries, Dave and Mary Gothi, for uh, hundreds of pastors and seminarians that could really make an impact not only in that country, but across the continent of Africa. And he had to travel 35 hours to get there, which I don't know about you. I don't have uh, legs as long as Nate, praise the Lord, but I can't imagine what 35 hours in a plane would be like. And so if you're here today and you saw, heard last week, man, I want to get uncomfortable for Christ. I'm not sure that you do. Because this week, we're going to talk about that sometimes that requires us to sacrifice and even suffer. Who's excited to hear this sermon? Come on. You know, and, and I, I can tell you, uh, uh, this is, comes from a source of passion. I believe in the scriptures and in my own life, uh, this has made a huge impact. And so I can't wait to share it with you, even though it is not an easy message. So I didn't do this uh, at the last uh, service. Can you turn to your neighbor on your right and your left? We haven't done this in a while. And just say, hey, it's not always like this. Could you just do that real quick? Just take five seconds. Yeah. It's only like 30% of the time it's like this. Uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bible, Colossians chapter 1. Eventually, we'll get to verse 24 as we finish this teaching series, Follow Me. And I started thinking about, okay, we've looked at the early 11 or 12 disciples and how they followed and pursued Jesus, dropped their nets, all of that. But what happens next is the, the gospel begins to spread, and it largely spreads all over the Roman Empire because of this disciple who had been persecuting and overseeing the, the killing of Christians, Paul. He came to faith on the road to Damascus, is, is where we got the name Mercy Road from, Acts chapter 9. Nobody farther from God than Saul at that day. He had been persecuting Christians, yet one encounter with Jesus so radically changed his life. He went on to start churches all over the Roman Empire and write uh, at least 40% of the New Testament that we have today. And so as we, we get into this, I want you to see that Paul was somebody who dropped everything in all of his clout to live out what God had called him to, and he didn't really get rewarded for it. He's going to end up in a prison cell. And this letter that we're about to write, he's going to write to a church in Colossae. Now, we're going to bring up a map really quick, and it has small print on it, so those of you over the age of 40 like me aren't going to be able to read it, but let's look at it in anyway. And you see the red dot there. We can all see that. There are three towns in that area, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and then Colossae. And Colossae was the smallest of these three towns that were an area known as Phrygia, which is in the Lycus River Valley that became in the province of Asia of the Roman Empire eventually. 
And so Paul is going to write to that smallest town, this letter written to the Christian church there. That church was most likely that met in the home of Philemon, who Paul would write an additional letter to. And he's writing this letter from a prison cell, talking about why he's suffering for Christ the way that he is. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on, look look with me. These first two verses is kind of our theme for the morning. Now I, Paul says, rejoice in what? I am suffering for you. How many of you have rejoiced in suffering? Now pause here for just a second, because I want to tell you that uh, throughout human history in the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament, the last 2,000 years of church history, you will find Christians who have suffered for their faith. They have been persecuted, fear of, of losing their life. One of my favorite uh, and one of the hardest to read chapters of the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11. It's often referred to as the hall of faith. You don't have to turn there, but in it, you have these great, incredible people of faith that make a big impact with your life, with their lives. Don't you want to make a big impact with your life like we talked about last week? But, but here's the thing. We got stories of like uh, Abraham. Abraham was willing to give up his only son because he wanted to follow Jesus so closely, yet God shows up, gives him a ram. He doesn't have to do that. The Lord saves the day, and he becomes Father Abraham that we sing songs about today. And then we got Noah. Noah's this guy. He you know, built this giant uh, Titanic prehistoric version, stuffed two of every animal on it. And you know, he gets this great redemptive story of how he's used by God to save humanity and even the animals itself. Right, These amazing men and women of faith it talks about in there. But when you get later into Hebrews 11, beginning around verse 35, we often miss the others. It says that there were others, not like these people that we all know about, the ones that we don't know about, who were sawed in two for their faith, it says. Lived destitute in caves, lost their lives for their faith. We often refer to those people in Christianity as what? Martyrs. Do you know that the, the word martyr, I'm not telling you this morning that you were called that you're gonna end up losing your life the way that many early Christians did if they suffered like this passage talks about. That may not be your calling. That may not be your reality. But what is true is that for every single person in here, we are called to be a martyr because the word martyr is just a Greek word. It means witness. To be a witness for the faith that we're called to put God first in our lives in a way that we witness him to others, which is what Nate was talking about last week. But the problem is, we'll all do that till it gets hard. But 2,000 years of Christian history has demonstrated the gospel expanded early on because the disciples did that. Then Paul and, and the followers of Jesus that first century did that. And then by the second century AD, you know what happens? Great persecution breaks out against the Christians. Emperor Marcus Aurelius, remember the movie Gladiator? He, he was a real Roman emperor, and he actually persecuted Christians viciously. He would burn them at the stake, take the ashes, and throw them into the local river, allow it to dissipate, and say, how is your Savior going to resurrect your physical body now? Becoming a Christian became harder, and yet Christianity exploded during that time because it forced them to deal with the reality. Did they really believe this? And it spreads all over the globe that today over 2 billion people at least would claim faith in Jesus, yet I would argue that many of us in American Christianity have never experienced the type of faith we read about in the Bible. 
We, and we all know that, right? Like, we, I, I don't have to prove that point because we all agree. And, and the truth is that until we actually say, God, we're willing to put everything on the line for you, we often don't see the impact that we're desiring. In fact, even in the early American history, uh, within the, the black community and the slavery and the oppression that occurred, it was many times relying on their faith and singing hymns to Jesus that actually brought comfort in their times of suffering. And, and Bonham, that, that today, often in the black community, Christianity is still much more readily accepted, which I want to celebrate that today, but to look at that that suffering and pain was very real. However... For many of us, in American suburban Christianity, the greatest persecution and suffering for our faith has occurred when we didn't get Starbucks when we walked through the door of the church, right? That our greatest suffering and persecution that we experienced this week was when someone, our coworkers or at school, asked us what, what religion we were, and we had to say out loud verbally that we were Christian, although we couldn't say the name Jesus because we felt uncomfortable about it. I want to highlight this morning, and look, I can tell you, uh, don't worry, this isn't about guilt or shame this morning and making you feel bad. What I want to tell you is that we got to get this right. We have said we want to see a million people come to faith in the state of Indiana by the year 2050, but if we're not willing to sacrifice our time, our talents and abilities, our finances and treasures, it, it won't happen. And I want to show you that all the way back in the church in Colossae, this little church struggled with the same thing that we're struggling with today. See, he says, I'm suffering for you, but what? And I will fill up my flesh, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. He says, I don't suffer because I want to suffer. If you have recently uh, been physically ill or you've lost a loved one or gone through a very difficult breakup, uh, look, suffering is real. And what I'm not telling you today is that uh, uh, suffering, you have to like it. Or that every time you go through something hard that, you know, you're going to see this, this incredible thing happen in your life. What I am going to tell you is that you, God can use that. I, I'm not going to talk about this this morning, but uh, most of you know our story of losing a child when we planted a church. And um, it was in that first year of planting Mercy Road Church that we reached so many hurting and broken people because of our story of losing a child. And I want to tell you, um, I've made many mistakes in my life, and I don't share that because I'm a super humble person. I, I'm sharing that just to say uh, one time in my life, I actually got it right. And I want to tell you this morning that if you allow God to use everything in your life, like Paul is in this passage, he says, I'm suffering because I want to actually be used by Christ. Look, as the verse goes on, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. He's like, I still haven't gotten to the point of Jesus suffering, who was crucified and berated and suffocated to death. For the sake of the body, which is the church, he lives out his faith, Paul does, for the sake of the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The question I want to ask you is, Paul is saying, I'm willing to suffer, and he's writing from a prison cell to them, because it's for the, the church to expand, to reach more people for the kingdom of God, that he's willing to do that. I want to ask you that same question this morning. Are you willing to follow Jesus? This is our theme for 2024. Follow Jesus, even if it means suffering. And I have to confess to you, uh, after my own story of losing a child, 
I prayed for years, God, use my life, make an impact, but do it without the suffering anymore because I'd had enough. And I just want to encourage some of you to do a little self-reflection this morning as I'm doing and saying, God, how am I doing? Am I healthy spiritually? Am I in a place that I'm uncomfortably close to you? I'm willing to be used by you to contend for others. That's what Paul's getting at in this passage. And I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for each person here. Uh, they, they, they fought the, the parking spots and the, the children's check-in and then getting a seat in this room. And they've come here when so many Americans today avoid things like church and, and don't make time for things of you, God. They've done it. So please, God, I pray that anything is, that is not of you, that's not rooted in your word in scripture, that it would fall on deaf ears this morning. But God, what is from you? Uh, I pray that it would pierce our soul in a way that it challenges us, encourages us, maybe leads to repentance or life change. And ultimately, God, we just pause in the busyness of our lives one more time this week, and we just acknowledge your presence in this room, that your Holy Spirit is with us. Speak to us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, and all God's family said, amen. Amen. So, Let's pause for a second and define what the word suffering actually means. To suffer is to experience or be subjected to something bad and or unpleasant. Now, I asked you that question, how many of you would would follow Jesus even if you meant suffering? But what if I put in there, how many of you would follow Jesus and experience or be subjected to things that are unpleasant this year? How many of you would just jump at the chance for that? None of us. And if you raise your hand, you're a liar. Let's all... Just admit that right now, because none of us actually want to experience that. By the way, that's part of the human condition. I've got three kids, and uh, they all have one thing in common. Uh, they're amazing. I love them to death. And they all get into different activities and you know, different academic pursuits and different sports. And they all have this thing in common that, let's take sports as an example, because we can all identify with that in some ways, that uh, in sports... A kid often wants to become the next NBA player, right? I don't know how many of you out there had dreams of playing in the NBA one day or, you know, putting on that Hoosier candy stripes one day. That was my dream because I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I don't know what your dreams were, but like those big pursuits that you want to do with your life in sports. And we all want those moments, but none of my kids are excited about getting up at six in the morning and training at the things they're really bad at in that sport right? Doing the boring, monotonous things that aren't fun. <laughs> None of us, and no judgment, that's okay. They don't need to be professional athletes. I was the same way. Like, we, most of us don't enjoy that. Yet, if you look in the sports world, we all know that anybody who does something great professionally in the sporting world has to relish getting into the boring, monotonous things of training and equipping themselves to get ready. Now, let me talk about a sport that maybe I don't talk about as often, uh, that I got into in the last three years again, because uh, my son got into it, which was uh, tennis. I, I, tennis for me was always like a secondary sport. And I shared this uh, one time that I was into tennis in a room of pastors. And there was this one uh, pastor from Texas who was also a football coach who said, that's not a real sport. And I just want to tell you that man has no friends. So, you know, if that's you in the room, you may check out for a moment. That's all right. But I found this, in tennis, is one of those sports you have to really train on the boring, monotonous things to get better 
and better. And I won't ruin this for anybody that's gonna watch it, but I woke up this morning and the Australian Open men's finals was last night and the, the person that won it came back in a fifth set and this triumphant you know, uh, uh, win and, and he wasn't supposed to do that a few years ago and it was incredible to see the growth and everybody says it's because they were willing to work hard and train at things they didn't wanna do to become the athlete they dreamed of being. How many of you train spiritually to become the best spiritual leader you could possibly be. I would argue, particularly in American culture, because of the lack of persecution, we often train more like the five-year-old that wants to become the NBA player without practicing than the professional athlete who wants to take seriously their calling. You know, the Bible actually tells you to take seriously the calling that you have received. And most of us train and equip spiritually for our day, our week, the impact that we want to have to follow him, to follow Jesus with like, oh, I thought about it for about 30 seconds and I read the verse of the day, right? Look, no guilt, no shame. This is about just a quick assessment this morning to say, honestly, here's the thing. In Christianity, in following Jesus, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be honest. And that's where most of us fail, And so I want to show you through the letter to the church in Colossae how to fully follow Jesus in your life and the sacrifice that it's going to take. In fact, Galatians 2.20, Paul writes this. This is one of his earliest letters written around 48 AD. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I deny myself like we talked about last week and I pick up my cross daily, I surrender everything over to Jesus as Lord. I'm gonna train and equip. This is what my life is about, he says. And he will go all over the Roman Empire telling people about Jesus, leaving everything behind. If you're taking notes, if you wanna fully follow Jesus, number one, this one might be the hardest. Number one, uh, you base your worldview off God's word. You base your worldview off God's word. Now, I would argue the things that they're dealing with in Colossae are very similar to what we're dealing with in our culture today. Look what it says here in verses 26 and 28. It says, the mystery that has been kept for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, I know that there's been lots of mysteries and searching after this hidden knowledge. In their culture, uh, there were many different religious uh, sects that were active in their community. I'm going to break them down in a moment. But they often were all coming from these mystery cult backgrounds where they're trying to discover this hidden knowledge, essentially taking many of the philosophies of their day and combining it with other religious beliefs and creating essentially their own religions. And and what he tells them in that passage is, is that you no longer have to live in mystery. The mystery has been solved. What did it say? Hope and glory is found in who? Jesus. Christianity, the message of Christianity is very simple. You don't have to connect all the dots and have all the philosophy of life figured out. It has to begin with that you have believed and received the good news of salvation found in Christ alone by faith alone. You have to begin to surrender your life to him and it's that relationship with him that redeems and brings salvation. 
The world around us tells us the exact opposite, just like it did in that day. Look with me, verse 28, it says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. At this time, culturally, in the Lycus River Valley, the mystery of the unknown was what they all lived for. They spent a lot of time on YouTube and Instagram uh, finding all their different theological and philosophical beliefs. Can can I just tell you uh, one of my great concerns over, I've been a pastor now for over 20 years, and I, I won't speak to everybody else, in my own life, social media and YouTube and the having knowledge at our fingertips on Google from any different place at any different time with no background checks, you know, no secondary parties looking at or third parties looking at these things that most of us develop our worldview from YouTube. Do you know how dangerous that is? And I know we're all thinking of someone else. I don't want you to do that. Think of yourself this morning. I'm thinking of myself this morning. If we find our our view of the world from every other thing around us, the Bible is very clear. You're gonna end up confused and going astray. It says it over and over and over again. Guess what? They didn't have Google or YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, although I think they would have enjoyed it. They didn't have that in Phrygia back in the day, but they had their own distractions In fact, uh, let me show you the map again. You have heard of these towns before, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis, they're known as the area of Phrygia. Uh, In fact, Laodicea will be mentioned in Revelation chapter three because Hierapolis was known for its warm springs and Colossae was known for its cold springs, so fresh water that you could drink. But Laodicea was known for its lukewarm springs which meant that it was somewhat polluted and not healthy to drink. And God in Revelation chapter three uses the disciple John to tell us that like the church in Laodicea, many people have become lukewarm Christians who have become unhealthy. This will be a trend for that entire region of the Roman empire, which I'll get to at the very end. But I share that to say that they had all these different cultural beliefs coming together in this place. And there's certainly good things about knowing different cultures. But when it comes to basing our faith and and basing our view of the world, it has to begin in scripture as followers of Jesus. They had many cultural religious influences. The Greeks and the Phrygians had Sybil, the goddess of Asia, Isis and Apollo, uh, these different false gods, the cult of Mithraism, which was a mystery cult where they would worship it by cutting themselves and doing all kinds of things that they somehow invoke the gods. The early forms of Gnosticism was essentially uh, compared today to like taking new ageism of certain things in their culture philosophically and combining it with Christianity and creating something new. Then they had the Jewish synagogue and then they had the Christian church, which was most likely a house church meeting in Philemon's home. In this small town, these were the different religious influences that were coming together. And what Paul is speaking to, you ready for this? This is as deep as we're gonna go this morning. Don't worry, after this, your brain can tune out a little bit. Uh, But you're intelligent human beings, and I know you can handle this. Syncretism. Syncretism is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation. Isn't it great when you have a really hard-to-define word and you define it with a more hard-to-define word? but the amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought that essentially taking all these different beliefs and putting it together and saying, hey, they're kind of all talking about the same thing. 
I would argue in our culture, this is the most common thing we see over and over and over again. And no judgment. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm trying to be honest that that is not Christianity. Christianity has taught for thousands of years that Jesus said this in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't cut yourself like Mithraism taught to invoke the gods. You don't offer the sacrifice to the temple prostitutes. You don't do these different actions. You don't need to do any of that. You need to repent of your sin and invite God into your life because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus empowers you to commune with a perfect God. Isn't that incredible? The mystery has been solved. You don't have to connect all the dots on YouTube anymore. It's very simple. You have to begin to converse with the almighty God because of the work of Jesus. You're like, that was a really long first point. I know, because I'm a little fired up about this. And and I want you to get this, because I think in, in our culture today, we're afraid to say these things. And we produce consumeristic Christians in our churches that often are more interested in getting their felt needs met so they have a positive experience, so they go back into their lives and find some friends that keep them from doing really bad stuff. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But I want to tell you, faith in Jesus is so much more than that. So much more than that. And we will never see a million people come to know faith in Jesus Christ if we don't get serious that everything in my life is based on God and his desires and his word. And certainly we have to apply it to modern issues that aren't clearly spoken about sometimes in scripture. But we can know with absolute doubt, without a doubt, what scripture is teaching and then simply apply it to the world around us today. Because number two, if you're taking notes, if you want to fully follow Jesus the way that Paul did and and actually follow him, you base your worldview on God's word, and then you do this. You do it because you actually want to contend for others. Remember how Paul started? He's like, I I go through all this suffering and affliction for the the body of Christ, for the church. Look, Look what it says here in verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those lukewarm Christians at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying everything we've been searching for, why we watch those videos and we click on those Instagram things and we search out all these things. The reason we're doing that is because we want to know the one true God of the universe and he wants to commune with you. And that's why Jesus came and gave his very life so that you might know him. Paul's sacrifice and suffering has grown out of his desire to contend for other people. Now, I would argue that this goes directly against what most American Christians about why they, they, they follow Jesus. Most of us follow Jesus because we want good things for ourselves. Because we're told this every day of our lives. You gotta work hard. You gotta grind it, right? You gotta work, you gotta get that earn on. Get out there so that you can purchase the things that you want, live the way that you want. None of those things are bad, right? I encourage you to work hard, make lots of money, do all that stuff, but why? Not for yourself. The Bible says that you can contend for others. 
Work hard as if working for the Lord because you want to be used by God to make an impact with your life. And it's that selfish tension within each of us. It's in me, it's in each of us that's going to keep us from fully making an impact because we live first for ourselves, not first for God and then for others. And I'm third, which is what scripture clearly teaches. And it was the two commands that Jesus gave us. God desires for us He believes that he loves you. He wants you to be known. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience his love and commitment. But all of that, once you've experienced that, then it becomes about contending for others. It's going to require sacrifice. Now, uh, didn't the band do a great job leading worship this morning? Um, You know, although in those announcements, I think Jaden, he may sing like an angel, but the announcements may not be his thing. Um, Although he is taller than our previous worship pastor. Can we all agree? Um, and thicker hair up front. I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed that this morning. But, you know, uh, Eric and I have been really good friends for a really long time now. And we've been in this together since there was 12 people in the church. And there's nobody I've ever enjoyed working with more than Eric Maitland. And most of you saw online that uh, by March 1st, uh, he will have his last day. Well, I love that his last day is leap day, which just fits Eric in every way. But he will uh, officially be stepping down after uh, 12 and a half public years, but 13 and a half years since we first began meeting in a house. And uh, it's all good stuff. He's doing it because God has been growing to a, his, his global ministry. They're addressing the opiate crisis all over the state of Indiana. They're, they're going all over the world to spread the gospel. They're even telling stories of the underground church movement in parts of the world. You can be persecuted to be a Christian. Like he's living, it's all good things. He's doing it because God's been calling him to this for a while and it was finally time. And so we get to celebrate all of that. But man, it was hard. And I often think about Eric when I think about a sacrificial Christian willing to live for others to truly contend for others before himself. Do you know that for the first two years we started the church, um, Eric, Eric was our worship pastor, put in 20, 30 hours a week. Uh, he never got paid. Two years he didn't get paid. How many of us would do that? You know, and I'm not telling any of you that should do that. That's, I would tell Eric, don't do that, it's a bad idea. Uh, you're married, you should think about that first. But like the reality is that when you are so in love with Christ and you want other people to experience what you've experienced. You will put everything on the line to contend for them. And I'm not looking at anybody in the room. I, myself, I look at my little self-reflection and I think sometimes I contend more for myself than I do for others. You ever feel like that? Like, like think about the people around you in your life right now. And often we're so concerned about our own problems and concerns and we want people to help us. And like, that's good. There's nothing wrong with asking God for help, asking others for help. But I want to tell you, at some point, you have to get spiritually healthy enough that you're actually contending for other people and not just yourself. And when you start doing that, guys, it's the greatest joy. When I've actually got that right in my life, it's been some of the most joy-filled times I've ever experienced. Some of the people I got to contend for the gospel with became some of my best friends. That they weren't Christians and now they're Christians and we talk about that stuff and everything else in life. And like, if you've never done that, you're missing out on it. And the thing that often prevents it is we think, oh man, I'd have to get out of my comfort zone like Nate talked about. And then when it comes down to it, like I'd actually have to sacrifice. Like my finances would be God's. My sexual life would be God's. My, the way that I use my time would be God's. And the truth is some, sometimes I just don't want to do that. I get it. I get it. It's exactly 
what, what people for 2,000 years have struggled with. Again, there's nothing, uh, we're not trying to guilt you this morning, but you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus, but you have to be honest that what is preventing you from impact is not that God doesn't desire it for you, it's that we aren't willing to do it. And I don't know about you, but I want to stop complaining about everything in my life, about how miserable this is and that is, and start being grateful for what God has given me and say, God, I only have so many years on this planet. When I get to heaven, I want to celebrate all that you've done. I'm telling you, what I think about all the time is someday we're going to end up in eternity with God, worshiping him, and I'm going to be thinking about all the dumb stuff I did with my time. All the things I worried about and like spent mental energy on. I talked about tennis. I didn't share this the first time. I played in a tennis tournament yesterday. I, you know, uh, I lost a match that I didn't think I was going to lose. You ever have something? I just, man, I spent so much time thinking about that. I couldn't even talk to my children. It was so important. <laughs> and man, you ever do that in your life that you just waste time and energy on things that are not going to matter? You're like, you're being really intense this morning. I know because we don't do this. And and until Christians in our culture stop worrying about things like church attendance and the best social media. And like we start saying, God, I don't care about any of that. I want to know your word. I want to base my life on it. I want to be used by you to contend for others. And I want to live with other Christians who are putting everything on the line. We do it in sports. We do it in our careers. We don't do it with our faith. Why? We pretend like it's just another thing that we nostalgically go through because a grandma told us to. I'm telling you, it's the most important thing to do with your life. This brings me to our third and final point. You don't have to feel all guilty and bad about this because the truth is we're in a spiritual battle. And this is what next week is, is all about. We did a special standalone sermon next week to address this issue as we prepare for 52 days of prayer and fasting beginning February 8th with dozens of other churches all over the state praying God will reach a million people for Christ by the year 2050. It's gonna require sacrifice, suffering, but most importantly, just saying, God, whatever you want, I'm yours. Whether I'm Abraham or Noah in the story or I'm more than the others at the end of Hebrews 11, use me. I only get to choose faith. I don't get to choose the outcome. And as we prepare for that, point number three, if you're taking notes, We have to resist the enemy's deceit because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And next week, we're gonna acknowledge that spiritual battle. But I want you to look at verses four and five in Colossians 2 as we finish off this passage. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And every day, each of us are getting content that is going to try to deceive us to live differently than than what God's word asks us to live. That's not a new thing. That's been around for 2,000 years. And he says, watch out, guys, for those fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And while several or many of them will continue to live their faith out, the reality was he gave them that warning and many of them didn't listen to it. Many of them will eventually go astray. Do you realize that the church in Colossae doesn't exist anymore? In fact, the the town doesn't even exist. It's in ruins. 
In fact, it became one of the early sites of one of the, the great heresies of early Christianity. It was known, you ready for a little theological lesson this morning? The, the Phrygian heresy. You didn't even know how to spell Phrygian when you came in here. But the Phrygian heresy was essentially these, uh, this prophet and these two prophetesses. Uh, the prophet's name was Montanus. And these three prophets essentially uh, begin to tell people that they're having revelations from the Spirit of God that co- directly contradicts what Scripture says. And the early Christians are like, wait, 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 wait a second. Uh, God's not going to tell you something different than what he already told us in his word. That's not how God works. He doesn't confuse us. That's the enemy that does that. And, and the, this town and this city, they begin to fall prey to this heresy. And that church eventually will no longer exist and completely dissipate and be gone. I find that for many of us, uh, we don't acknowledge the deception the enemy is often doing in our lives. And it starts small. You know, they didn't start one day with like, hey, let's all give in to the Phrygian heresy, <laughs> right? Like it just started small. Giving in to small things in their life. A little whisper to you, hey, you know, those ethics about how to live your life when it comes to sexual sin. Well, that was, that was 2,000 years ago. You know, today's different. Little things whispering in your ear, like about fun and finances and money. Well, you can't, you can't, really, can't really trust that. And, you know, the pastors, they're, they're out for money and religious institutions. And I always tell people, if, if that's your thing, man, give it somewhere else, but do not deny that God is calling you to live a generous life. If some of you are like, oh man, I really wanna actually live for you and honor you in my marriage, God, I really wanna do that. But the truth is sometimes I kind of don't <laughs> because it'd be easier just to cut ties and not deal with this anymore. Like the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's gonna start with small things and it's gonna grow it. And eventually you get unhealthy. And when you get to that unhealthy place, all the other unhealthy stuff out there starts making sense to you. You start going, oh yeah, I I see that. A little of this, a little of that. I'll take a little of this. And before you know it, you've created your own religion that answers only to you and everything you already believed. I want to encourage you this morning, don't live like that. Base your life on God's word. Don't live selfishly for yourself. Contend for others. And don't give in to the deception of the enemy that is very real in your life. And so we're doing something a little different this morning. I want to talk, if you're a Christian in the room, or maybe you've been thinking about Christianity, I want to do a little self-assessment this morning. You ever do that? A little self-assessment to say, how am I doing? Am I spiritually healthy? Am I getting into your word daily? Am I I training and equipping? Like I I really am taking seriously the calling that I've received to contend for others. Am I preparing myself spiritually against the deception of the enemy? And I'll end with this. Jesus takes the early disciples to this place that was known as the gates of Hades. And he's talking about hell. And he says, the gates of Hades, hell itself, cannot stand against us. And I want to tell you, we are called to go to the dark places in the world. To contend for the hurting and the broken and the lost. To not judge people who believe differently than us. We're called to go to them and out of love, ask Christ to change their life. But I want to warn you and tell you this. If you don't prepare yourself spiritually and spend time with Jesus and are healthy spiritually, 
and you go and do those things, you'll end up giving into the very things that the people you're trying to reach were giving into. We see this a lot. And so I wanna encourage you this morning to do a little self-assessment. How am I doing? Where am I unhealthy? Where can I repent? And how can I draw near to you today, Jesus? Will you pray with me, God? I pray that like Paul warned the church in Colossae, we would not be easily uh, deceived this morning, that we would prepare ourselves spiritually. And so we're gonna do the hard work this morning, a little self-assessment. God, may you point out anything in our life that, that isn't healthy. Maybe we've gotten back into some of the sins that we thought we were over. Maybe we just have strayed away from spending time with you. We don't, we don't pray. We don't get into your word. And, and God, rather than this going, we should do better, we're gonna be just honest that we're not better. And we need your help. And so this morning, we draw near to you, God. We invite your Holy Spirit into our lives and we repent that our life doesn't line up with what you desire. God, help us to be world changers, that contend for others, for the faith, that see a million people come to know Jesus in the state of Indiana by the year 2050, God, to send us out as fishers of men and women. But God, first, we gotta be spiritually healthy. So then pray this with me. If that's you in the room and you wanna actually surrender everything over to him as Lord, pray this with me. God, this morning, I do this beautiful act to repent of anything in my life that's not of you. I surrender my time, my talents, my abilities, my finances, my treasures over to you. Use me, Jesus, in the lives of others. We worship you and praise you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. <laughs>